0: Written by B.M. Bower and published in 1921, Casey Ryan is a story about a ruffian who lived in Nevada, during the time when cars began replacing horses and carriages. Casey comes across as obnoxious, but is somehow likeable, and hopefully a character that can help you fall asleep. My name is Teddy, and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. Sleep is so important, and my mission is to help you get the rest that you need. Each episode is designed to play in the background while you slowly fall asleep. Special thanks to New Zealand iTunes listeners, Chloe Clo, Clo McClowface. I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly, and also to Finny Nona for your lovely reviews. Thank you also to Kira for your message via the website. I'm glad that you've been able to share the journey along the way. The podcast is completely free, and it's the support from listeners that allows me to keep bringing out more episodes. If the podcast helps, a fantastic way to say thanks is to tell a friend who might also need help with their sleep. Please also subscribe and leave a review. It really does help out. If you want, you can also say hello at BoreYouToSleep.com. I'm also now on Twitter and Instagram at BoreYouToSleep. In the meantime... Lie back, relax, and enjoy the readings. Casey Ryan by B.M. Bower Chapter 1 From Denver to Spokane, from El Paso to Fort Benton, Men talk of Casey Ryan and smile when they speak his name. Old men with the flat tone of coming senility in their voices will suck at their pipes and cackle reminiscently while they tell you of Casey's tumultuous youth when he drove the six fastest horses in Colorado on the stage out from Cripple Creek and whooped past would-be hold-ups with a grin of derision, on his face and bullets winning after him, and passengers praying disjointed prayers and clinging white-knuckled to the seats. They say that once a flat, lanky man climbed bareheaded out the stage window below the mountain and met Casey, coming springily off the box with whip and six reins in his hand. The lanky man was still pale from his ride, and he spluttered when he spoke. Say next time you're held up and I'm riding with you, by gosh you stop. I'd rather be shot than pitched off into a canyon somewhere and busted up. Casey is a little man. When he was young, he was slim, but he always owned a pale blue, unwinking squint, which he uses with effect. He halted where he was and squinted up at the man, and spat fluid tobacco and grinned. You're here, and you're able to kick about my driving. That's purdy good luck, I'd say. You ain't shot, and you ain't laying busted in no canyon. Any time a man gets shot out a Casey Ryan stage, he'll have to jump out and wait for the bullet to catch up. And there ain't any passengers. Often this stage laying busted, in no canyon either. I bring in what I start out with. The other man snorted and reached under his coat tail, for the solacing plug of chewing tobacco. Opposition and ridicule had brought a little color into his face. Why, howl man, you come around that hairpin turn up there on two wheels. It's a miracle we wasn't. Miracles is what happens once and lets it go at that. Casey Ryan always saves wear on a couple of wheels on that turn. I've made it on one. But the leaders wasn't running right today. That nigh one's cast a shoe. I gotta have that looked after. He gave up the reins to the waiting hostler and went off. Heading straight for the station porch, where waited a red-haired girl with freckles and a warm smile for Casey. That was Casey's youth, part of it. The rest was made up of fighting, gambling, drinking hilariously with the crowd, and always with his temper on hair-trigger. Along the years behind him, he left a straggling procession of men, women, and events, The men and women would always know the color of his eyes, and would recognize the Casey laugh in a crowd, years after they had last heard it. The events were full of the true Casey flavor, and as I say which men told of them and mentioned Casey, they laughed. From the time when his daily drives were likely to be interrupted by hold-ups and once by a grizzly that reared up in the road fairly under the nose of his leaders and sent the stage off at an acute angle blazing a trail by itself amongst the timber Casey drifted from mountain to desert from desert to plain and back again, blithely meeting hard luck face to face, and giving it good day as if it were a friend. For Casey was born an optimist, and misfortune never quite got him down and kept him there, though it tried hard and often, as you will presently see, Some called him gritty. Some said he hadn't the sense to know when he was licked. Either way, it made a rare little Irishman of Casey Ryan and kept his name from becoming blurred in the memories of those who once knew him. So in time it happened that Casey was driving a stage of his own from Pinnacle down to Lund in Nevada and making boast that his four horses could beat the record, the month's record, mind, of any dog-gone orty-mobile that ever infested the trail. Infest is a word that Casey would have used often Had he known its dictionary reputation, having been deprived of close acquaintance with dictionaries, but having a facile imagination and some creative ability, Casey kept pace with progress and invented words of his own, which he applied lavishly to all automobiles. But particularly, and emphatically, he applied the spiciest, most colourful ones to Fords. Put yourself in Casey's place, and you will understand. Imagine yourself with a thirty-mile trip to make down a twisty, rough mountain road built in the days when men halt. Hold ore down the mountain on wagons built to bump over rocks, without damage to anything but human bones. You are Casey Ryan, remember? You never stopped for stage robbers or grizzlies in the past, and you have your record to maintain as the hardest driver in the West. You are proud of that record, because you know you had to drive and earn it. You pop the lash over the ears of your leaders, and go whooping down a long straight bit of road, where you count on making time. When you are about halfway down, and the four horses are running even and tugging pleasantly at the reins, and you are happy enough to sing your favorite song, which begins, Hey, old Bill, can you play the fiddle low? Yes, by gosh, I, I kin play a little low. And never gets beyond that one flat statement. Around the turn below you comes a ford, Rattling all its joints, trying to make the hill on high. The driver honks wildly at you to give him the road. You, Casey Ryan. Wouldn't you writhe and invent words and apply them viciously to all Fords? And the man who invented them? But the driver comes at you honking squawking, and you turn out. You have to, unless the Ford does, and Fords don't. A Ford will send a twin six swerving sharply to the edge of a ditch, and even Casey Ryan must swing his leaders to the right in obedience to that raucous command Once Casey didn't, he had the patience of the good-natured, and for a while he had contented himself with his vocabulary and his reputation as a driver and a fighter, and the record he held of making the thirty miles from Pinnacle to Lund in an hour and 35 minutes, 26 days in the month. He did not publish this running expenses, by the way, nor did he mention the fact that his passengers were mostly strangers picked up at the railway station, because they liked the look of the picturesque Four Horses and Casey Stagecoach, Once Casey refused to turn out that morning he had been compelled to wait and whip a heavy man who berated Casey because the heavy man's wife had ridden from Pinnacle to Lund the day before and had fainted at the last sharp turn in the road and had not revived in time to board the train for Salt Lake which she had been anxious to catch. Casey had known she was anxious to catch the train, and he had made the trip in an hour and 29 minutes, in spite of the fact that he had driven the last mile with a completely unconscious lady leaning heavily against his left shoulder she made much better time with Casey than she would have on the narrow-gauge train which carried oar and passengers and mail to Lund, arriving when most convenient to the train crew. That it took half an hour to restore her to consciousness was not Casey's fault, Casey had succeeded in whipping the heavy man till he hollered, but the effort had been noticeable. Casey wondered uneasily whether by a chance he, Casey Ryan, was growing old with the rest of the world. That possibility had never before occurred to him, and the thought was disquieting, Casey Ryan, too, old to lick any man who gave him cause. Too old to hold the fickle esteem of those who met him in the road. Casey squinted belligerently at the old man with the scythe and snorted. I licked him good, you ask anybody, and he's twice as big as I am. I guess they's as good many years left in Casey Ryan yet. Gidap, you, thus and so. We're ten minutes late and we got our record. At that moment, a Ford touring car popped around the turn below him and squawked presumptuously for a clear passage ahead. Casey pulled his lash off the nigh leader, yelled and charged straight down the road. Did they think they could honk him off the road? Casey Ryan was still Casey Ryan. Never again would he turn out for man or devil wherefore Casey was presently extricating his leaders from the harness of his wheeler's ten feet below the grade. On the road above him, the driver of the Ford inspected bent parts and a smashed headlight and cranked and cranked ineffectively and swore down at Casey Ryan who squinted unblinkingly up under his hat brim at the man he likewise cast. They were a long while there exchanging disagreeable opinions of one another, and Casey was even obliged to climb the steep bank and whip the driver of the Ford because he had applied a word to Casey which had never failed as automatic prelude to a Casey Ryan combat. Casey was frankly winded when he finally mounted one of his horses and led the other three, and so proceeded to Lund as mad as he ever had been in his entire life. That there settles it final, he snorted, when the town came into view in the flat below. They've pushed Casey off the grade for the first and the last time. What pushin' and crowdin' and squawkin' is done from now? It'll be Casey Ryan doing it. Faint. I'll learn em something to faint about. If it's Ford's goin' to run horses off the trail, you watch how Casey Ryan'll drive the livin' tar out of one. Doggone em, there ain't no Ford livin' that can drive Casey off the road. I'll drive them until their tongues hang out. I'll make em all ball like a calf and I'll pound him on the back and make him fan it faster. So talking to himself and his team, he rode into town and up to one of those ubiquitous Ford agencies that write their curly-tailed blue lettering across the continent from the high nose of Maine to the shoulder of Cape Flattery. Gimme one of them doggoned blankety-bing-bing Ford Audi-mobiles, he commanded the garage owner, who came to meet Casey amiably in his shirt sleeves. Here's four horses, I'll trade you, with what's left of the harness. And up at the third turn you'll find a good wheel off in the stage, He slid down from the sweaty back of his nigh leader and stood slightly bow-legged and very determined before the garage owner, Bill Masters. Well, I... there ain't much sale for horses, Casey. I ain't got any place to keep them, nor any feed. I'll sell you a Ford on time, and... Casey glanced over his shoulder to make sure the horses were standing quiet, dropped the reins and advanced upon Bill. You trade, he said flatly. Bill backed a little. Oh, all right, if that's the way you feel. What are you asking for the four just as they stand? Me. A Ford automobile, I told you that, Bill. And I want you to put on the biggest horn that's made. One that can be heard from here to pinnacle and back when I turn her loose. And run the damn thing out here right away and show me how it works and how often you gotta wind it and when lucky I didn't bring no passengers down I was running empty but I got take back a load of bunooks and bluebird this afternoon and my stage she's a total wreck I'll sign papers tonight if you got any to sign. Chapter 2 Thus was the trade effected with much speed and few preliminaries, because Bill knew Casey Ryan very intimately and had seen him in action when his temper was up. Bill adjusted an extra horn, which he happened to have in stock. One of those terrific things that go far toward making the life of a pedestrian a nerve-wracking succession of startles. Casey tried it out on himself before he would accept it. He walked several doors down the street with the understanding that Bill would honk at him when he was some little distance away. Bill waited until Casey's attention was drawn to a lady with thick ankles who was crossing the street in a hurry and a stiff breeze. Bill came down on the metal plunger of the horn with all his might and Casey jumped perceptibly and came back grinning. She'll do. What'll put a crimp in Casey Ryan's spine is good enough for anybody. Bring her out here and show me how you work the damn thing. Guess she'll hold six behunks, won't she? With sideboards on. I'll run her around a couple of times before I start out. And that's all I will do. Naturally, the garage man was somewhere perturbed on his nonchalant manner of getting acquainted with a Ford. He knew the road from Lund to Pinnacle. He had driven it himself. With a conscious sigh of relief when he had safely negotiated the last hairpin curve, and Bill was counted a good driver, He suggested an insurance policy to Casey, not half so jokingly as he tried to sound. Casey turned and gave him a pale blue, unwinking stare. Say never you mind getting out insurance on this Audi mobile. What do you want to do is insure the cars that's liable to meet up with me in the trail. Bill saw the sense of that too and said no more about insuring Casey. He drove down the canyon where the road is walled in on both sides by cliffs and proceeded to give Casey a lesson in driving. Casey did not think that he needed to be taught how to drive. All he wanted to know, he said, was how to stop her and how to start her bill needn't worry about the rest of it she's done tender-bitted he commented after two round trips over the straight half-mile stretch and 14 narrow escapes and the man that made her sure order known better than to make her neck rein in harness And I don't like this windin' her up every time you want to start it, but she sure can go. And that's what Casey Ryan's after every day in the week. All right, Bill. I'll go up to the Bohunks and start. You better phone up the Pinnacle that Casey's on the road and tell him he says it's his road long he's on it. They'll know what I mean. Pinnacle did know, and waited on the sidewalk that afforded a view of the long hill, where the road curled down around the head of the gulch and into the town, much sooner than his optimistic backers had a right to expect for there were bets laid on the outcome there in Pinnacle. On the brow of the hill a swirl of red dust grew rapidly to a cloud. Like a desert whirlwind it swept down the road, crossed the narrow bridge over the deep cut at the head of the gulch, where the famous Ubet Bet Mine, Bouched black smoke and rolled on down the steep, narrow little street. Out of the whirlwind poked the pugnacious, little brass-rimmed nose of a new Ford, and behind the windshield Casey Ryan grinned, widely as he swung up to the post office, and stopped as he always had stopped his four-horse carriage stage. Stopping with a flourish is fine, and spectacular when you are driving horses accustomed to that method and on the lookout for it. Horses have a way of stiffening their forelegs and sliding their hind feet and giving a lot of dramatic finish to the performance but there is no dramatic sense at all in the tin brain of a Ford. It just stopped, and the insecure fourth bohunk in the tonneau, went hurtling forward into the front seat straight on his way through the windshield, Casey threw up an elbow instinctively, and caught him in the collar button so avoided breakage and blood splattered around three other foreigners were scrambling to get out when Casey stopped them and yelled that froze them quiet where they were hey you stay where you are I gotta deliver you up to the bluebird in a minute There were chatterings and gesticulations in the tonneau. Out of the gabble, a shrill voice rose bescreechingly in English. We will walk, mister, if you please, mister. We are afraid for riding with you, mister. Casey was nettled by the cackling and the thigh-slapping of the audience on the sidewalk. He reached for his stage whip and, missing it, used his Irish fists. So the Bohunks crawled unhappily back into the car and subsided shivering and with tears in their eyes. Damn it, when I take on passengers to ride... They're going to ride until they get there. You shut up back there. A friend of Casey's stepped forward and cranked the machine, and Casey pulled down the gas lever until the motor howled, turned in the shortest possible radius and went lunging up the crooked steep trail to the Bluebird Mine on top of the hill, his engine racing and screaming in low. Thereafter, Pinnacle and Lund had a new standard, by which to measure the courage of a man. Had he made the trip with Casey Ryan and his new Ford, He had, by golly, he sure had nerve. One man passed the peak for sheer bravery and rode twice with Casey, but certain others were inclined to disparage the feat on the ground that on the second trip he was drunk. Casey did not like that, He admitted that he was a hard driver. He had always been proud because men called him the hardest driver in the West. But he argued that he was also a safe driver and that they had no business to make such a fuss over riding with him. Didn't he ride after his own driving every day of his life? Had he ever got killed? Had he ever killed anybody else? Well, what were they all yapping about? Pinnacle and Lund made him tired. If you fellas think I can't bounce that there tin can down the road fast as any man in the country, why don't you pass me on the road? You're welcome. Just try it. No one cared to try, however. Meeting him was sufficiently hazardous. There were those who secretly timed their travelling so they would not see Casey Ryan at all. And I don't think you can really call them cowards either. A good many had families, you know. Casey had an accident now and then, and his tire expense was such as to keep him up playing nights of poker for money to support his Ford. You simply can't whirl into town at a 30-mile gate. I am speaking now of Pinnacle, whose street was a gravelly creek bed quite dry and ridgy between rains, and stop in twice the car's length without scouring more rubber off your tyres than a capacity load of passengers will pay for. Besides, you run short of passengers if you persist in doing it. Even the strangers know who came in on Salt Lake Line were quite likely to look once at the cute little narrow-gauge train with its cunning little day coach hitched behind a string of all-cars, glance at Casey's Ford stage with indifference, and climb into the cunning day coach for the trip to the pinnacle. The psychology of it passed quite over Casey's head, but his pocket felt the change. And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope you're feeling a little drowsy, and if you're not quite tired yet, please feel free to listen to another episode. In the meantime, I'll be working on bringing a new episode out just for you. Good night.